You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things comics and movies. This episode number 72, we're discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, our full spoiler review. Man, it is great to be back at the table. I feel like it's been forever since we reviewed something. It's been a long, long time, man. But yeah. it's, it's good to be back. Back in, uh, you know, Hall H as I've dubbed, you know, many, many, uh, not years ago, but a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, it's great to be back here, man. Can't wait to discuss this movie. Yeah, and this falls under our... MCU retrospective series as well. This is kind of a combination episode, a Nerd Room episode and an MCU retrospective episode. It is slightly out of order, but we're doing it this way so we're able to capture the movies as they come out and give a full review and our thoughts while keeping the MCU retrospective in mind as well. So this month there won't be an additional fifth episode. It's just going to be this episode, which will then slot into our MCU retrospective series as well. Before we do get going here, we just wanted to pass on our condolences to our fellow podcast host Sanjay. His family is going through a bit of a rough time and we wanted him to know that we're thinking about him and we're looking forward to having him back on the show at some point, hopefully discuss Wonder Woman. But our thoughts are with you, man, and we hope to see you back here at the table sometime soon. Yes, absolutely. Keep that head up and we got your back, man. Definitely. And like I said at the top of the show here, we are here to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. This was one of our most anticipated movies. I went back and re-listened to our most anticipated episode to see where we all landed. This was my number two most anticipated movie. This was your number eight and Sanjay's number six. So for all of us, this kind of rattled around amongst the top ten of our most anticipated movies for 2017. And a lot of people were really looking forward to this. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 was a massive hit back in 2014. And it debuted to $93 million. Now this film debuted to $146 million, which is massive. It is the fifth largest opening MCU debut, only behind Avengers, Age of Ultron, Civil War, and Iron Man 3, which is pretty incredible. This is the largest opening for a movie without Iron Man in it. Down. Well, when you put it that way, yeah. oh, that's huge. Yeah, no, that's incredible stuff. I mean, I, I was blown away. I think the general audience was blown away the first time with Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 came out and reached that $93 million. So for this movie to come out, you know, with 145 just, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's such a huge feat. And it yeah. followed up in its second weekend with $65 million which is another huge weekend for this franchise. So we're looking at domestically, as our recording, about $250 million and about $630 million globally. This has the potential to reach a billion dollars. Has it opened up everywhere? Yes, I think yeah. it's hit everywhere, including China. I think okay. it hit kind of across the board there. Yeah. It was a big hit in China in 2014, and it looks like it's going to be another big hit in China as well. Good job, James Gunn, man. He's killing it. He is, he yeah. is. And he's put a lot of effort into this movie. And it's it, it really shows here on the screen. And I mentioned $1 billion. This seems to be kind of the, the bar that a lot of movies are measured against. And this is a global haul. So do you think this will have the legs? Like Coming up here, we're getting into the prime summer season. We've got Alien Covenant coming out this weekend. 
Baywatch, Pirates 5, and Wonder Woman on June 2nd. So all within the next three weeks, we've got massive blockbusters coming. Do you think this will be able to top that $1 billion mark to get to that that bar that what everyone puts, you know, if a movie gets to a billion dollars, this is what Beaver Sass was ma- measured against. This yeah. is what Suicide Squad, all of those movies from DC and all the movies from Marvel and Star Wars, it's this billion dollar mark everyone is hunting for. We're at 630 right now. Is it going to get there? Does it have the legs? Is that 630 right now? Yeah. Ooh. That's a game changer. I, I don't know. It, it's tough because I, I think even Apes is coming up in a little bit too. Yeah, Planet that's the middle of July. Middle of July and then we've got Wonder Woman. That's a tough one. I I, I don't think it will. I yeah. want it to because I really like this movie. 630, that's huge. But when you got aliens coming up there. It's just too cluttered, I think. I it agree is. With you. I think it's probably going to hit over that $800 million mark. It's yeah. probably got enough in it to do another $200 million. Yeah. But to actually get to that billion dollar mark, it's yeah. going to be tough. It is. Like if this had come out in March or April, I could right. probably see that. Or maybe even August like it did in the past. Right. It's just going to run into too much competition. It's just too much. And we're going to see a lot more of that now coming up here with these uh, superhero movie films. Yeah, right. you're only going to get one or two weeks maybe out of these. Yes. And I think Guardians, it's, it's well placed here at the start of May. Mm-hmm. But it's going to get into this summer season or whatever. I don't even know if there's a season anymore. It no. seems like that the whole movie year is just there. Like, I think that people are going to see, we've discussed this lots, but I kind of want to see the Guardians sitting in August. Like, that was a cool time frame for it. Yeah. But Marvel, or the start of May is Marvel's month. We may see them shift with that, with Star Wars kind of sucking that up now. That's true, too. It goes right up until uh, Thor in November, Yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that goes. It's it's crazy because, you know, last year we had uh, Valentine's Day was the kickoff with uh, Deadpool. Yeah, (laughs) pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And looking back at Sanjay and mine prediction, we had a small wager on it. Yes, I heard that one. It was the closest two without going over, but we both way overestimated this. I had 170, Sanjay had 165, so we're about $20 million off. We're overly optimistic there and i, I don't think that that's saying that <laughs> with this movie failed at all no from our perspective this is a huge opening but i do owe sanjay a movie ticket now i know he's already bought his wonder woman ticket so it's gonna have to be something else he's jacked up for that i was talking to him about that the other day yes and he's really looking forward to that and i'm looking forward to reviewing that but that's in a few weeks time yeah. we're here to talk about guardians yeah man bringing it back to marvel let's talk a bit about our viewing and our experiences in the theater how did you view this yeah, I saw it on the 3D IMAX. Um, Chinook there, Cineplex. Is, um, you know what? I got to say, I'm not a fan of the glasses. The glasses that I had this time around were big, They're huge. the worst. Horrible. They hurt my, my head, my nose, my ears. It's, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It's bad. It wasn't the same experience as Doctor Strange. I think Doctor Strange had different goggles or glasses. These were goggles, Doctor Strange's glasses. Yeah. So, but man, the, the crowd that came out to this, the, the, the crowd was uh, cheering. There was applause at the end. Were you opening weekend? Yeah, you. I was were, opening weekend. Yeah. I was on Thursday. Nice. Yeah, I saw it on the Thursday. So you saw like first showing. Basically. First showing, man, yeah. and it was it was great. This is probably the best crowd I've been with since um, Force Awakens. That was really? a great crowd. Yeah, so um, great experience. Besides the goggles. Yeah, yeah. I was a couple of days late on seeing this. I saw this on the Monday after it came out on the Friday. So when I did go and see it, I saw a, a later show on a Monday. The, it was still three quarters full of theater. Yeah. And then I've seen this twice now. I went last Saturday night with my wife. She was dying to see this. She's a fan of Marvel. She's a fan of Star Wars. But she's not like us. She doesn't usually go and see these. She didn't want to see Doctor Strange. Right. No interest in Ant-Man. She loves Civil War. She went bonkers for this movie. And she really wanted to see it. So I went and saw it for the second time. And I saw it once in IMAX with the big dumb glasses. <laughs> Agree, hate them. Yeah. It really ruins the IMAX experience. It, for it me. does. Yeah. It's distracting. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw it also in AVX, which have the smaller glasses. Yes. 
So I think from now on, that's the way I'm going to go. AVX I'm not sure. going to do IMAX because IMAX is such an experience, but it's ruined by the dumb glasses. But did you also have a chance to watch volume one, either coming out of this or going into it to kind of frame yourself for the yeah, audience experience? Yeah, you know, much like with the, the Rogue One effect going into uh, episode four, immediately I had to pop this movie in. And um, I, I mentioned to you earlier, actually, this kind of has the same effect of what Winter Soldier did to First Avenger for Captain America. Uh, coming off of Captain America, First Avenger, I thought it was an okay movie. I thought it was pretty decent. And then when I saw Winter Soldier and went back to Cap 1, it blew my mind. It just made that movie so much better. And I got to say, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 does the same thing, for me at least. Because I wasn't raving about Volume 1. I liked it. Yeah. But seeing this movie and then tying some of the tissues back to this, Yondu. You're going to hear a Yondu out of my mouth a lot. Right, so just yeah, get ready for that. This whole cast, is this whole cast, right? Awesome. I loved him. Awesome, he was great. So yeah, you you definitely have to go back to volume one. It's it's awesome. funny because you're not the first person I've heard that from. Oh okay, yeah, my yeah. buddy Brad or buddy Brad, yeah. friend of the show, he also had that same sentiment. He said it has the same effect for me that Winter Soldier did for First Avenger. Yeah, it made the first one better. And now me coming into this, I was a huge fan of the Guardians pre even movie. Oh yeah, and so I loved Volume One and I loved Volume Two as right. well. But I have to agree with you. It, it elevates Volume One. It brings them to another level. Oh yeah, like it's a cohesive movie. Like you could do them back to back the same. You could almost do rogue one and a new hope for sure like it's not that close but it's pretty damn close it really is especially those little mysteries they, they leave in there about who's his dad who's yeah. his dad and now you're really like who is it and then when you see this movie it's all answered right exactly love it that's what's good about this movie mm-hmm. and and I, I have to say right here full spoilers as of yes. this point on we're gonna go jump right into the film here and we're going full spoilers so you've been warned i'm sure you've seen it if you're listening to this but spoiler alert um, but yeah, that's that's one thing I loved about this movie. It didn't waste any time no. getting to the answers. It didn't drag on this father thing. And yes. that's something that James Gunn addressed almost up front. He said, look, Ego's his father. Yeah. Like we didn't speculate. And like I know that's what we love about Star Wars. But at the same time, I kind of want the answers here because of these MCU movies and the way they're structured and the way they're built. Mm-hmm. Giving answers and seeding other questions is important part of the filmmaking and the film going experience. And I think James Gunn really knows what he's doing when it comes down to building this universe because this cosmic universe is it's something that Feige and Gunn have both been talking about a lot lately that this could be the phase four. And they're really world building here. And this is what I really loved about this film and the one previous is it spends a lot of time concentrating on building up what the galaxy actually looks like. The the different characters in it, the different species, the different planets. It spends a lot of time addressing that, even just in the background. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where this film really takes off for me is that I see this star wars-esque marvel cinematic universe being built in the cosmos and i freaking love it yeah and and the colors again you know going back this is a gorgeous looking movie this this looks fantastic on the imax um i i I love the way this movie looked it's great so big too this world it's huge yeah, did you get a feeling, I know we're kind of getting all over the place here, <laughs> did you get a feeling that this movie was massive but felt intimate? Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, and, I, and I think it's due to the acting. The acting was yes. top-notch in this movie. It's such yeah. a small, intimate story, but set in a huge universe. Mm-hmm. You don't, like, I never felt like this was a galaxy-spanning, th- like, you get towards the end where it's 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 universal threat, mm-hmm. but I never felt more that, like, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 feels way bigger than this. Yeah, with yeah. With Thanos and... 
what's his name? Ronan. Ronan and yeah. all that. Yeah. It feels huge. Yeah. This is so small. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's complete opposite actually of Thor going off what we just covered on the MCU yeah. retrospective that you can go check out. Because at that movie, I felt like there's two sets. Asgard, Corridors, and then um, <laughs> and then Earth there, right? Um, this movie just did such a great job of exploring the characters too. Yeah. You know, Marvel's been doing a great job ever since Avengers 1 of really just giving you um, a whole cool scope of all the different characters, that ensemble, yeah. right? Which is what Guardians has been known for. Exactly. Yeah. And you never felt like one of them is short-shipped. No. I felt through this whole movie, everyone gets a little arc, everyone yes. gets a push, a development, and it's an organic development. Yes, which is most important. Yes. Yeah. But that being said, I think it's time to get into some of the details here. As we always do with our MCU retrospective and overall film reviews, we talk a bit about the timeline here. And you and me, were big continuity buffs. We yes. like to see solid continuity built from one film to another and then engrossing it within the whole MCU here. And the interesting thing about this movie that maybe a lot of people don't fully recognize, it's only set a couple months after the original installment. So that puts it in 2014 still. That's something that we're not really used to. We're yeah. used to the movies as they come out sequentially. They're set more or less in real time. This is one of the first that actually isn't set after the last movie. Right. And we kind of get indication of this because we get the 1980 and then it's plus 34 years, yeah. which takes us to 2014. Because we had talked not too long ago about Infinity War actually being set four years after volume two. And that kind of messed me up. I was like, why would they be doing that? Yeah. But when you think about it, Infinity War is going to be set more or less real time. So yeah. 2018, this is set in 2014. So there's your four years right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So this movie actually occurs before Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Civil War, and future movies like Spider-Man and Thor Ragnarok. And Doctor Strange too then? And Doctor Strange as well, yeah. Yeah. Because a funny note, I guess going off of Spider-Man now, we've been told because basically each Spider-Man movie will be a year apart. Um, you know, graduating each year. So that's kind of um, kind of a guide there. Yeah, so it's going to stutter step as well. Exactly. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting how they're starting to build these as being somewhat more self-contained. Yes. And not this over-expansive kind of universe building. So right. they seem to be settling down a bit. And that's another thing that Feige has been saying that into Phase 4 that we might lose some of these it's all connected threads. Right. And I, from what they're doing here, I'm somewhat okay with that. I think they still need those connective tissues. Yeah. But at the same time, we have to expect by going back and revisiting older timelines that we're not going to get the same type of movie seating that we've gotten in the past. One of the things that I saw in here, or I didn't see in here, was ties to Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, which I, I thought there was definitely going to be yeah, some Yeah, that there. was one of my predictions that the after credit scene was going to tie directly to Thor Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the timeline... That's why it's not tied because it's exactly. set off like three years offset from that. That's right. The interesting thing is, though, is I wonder where will Guardians 3 follow? Because obviously before Guardians 3, we're going to get Infinity War, yeah. right? And It's um, going to be a big leap. It's going to be four or five years into the future there. Yeah, and there's, there's even rumors, too, that, that Groot could even possibly pop up in um, uh, Ragnarok. Oh, really? So we could get Groot and Hulk. Oh, that'd be awesome. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have awesome. to see. And Jane Foster might appear, too. There's yeah. that little leak going on there. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Well, there is, I said there isn't really any ties to Thor Ragnarok. There is yeah. kind of two really small ones that I'll just mention here. In the after credit kind of dancing sequence, you do see the Grandmaster in there. Okay, yeah. yeah. He's kind of dancing. I caught that in the first time. And there are two oh, yeah. alien beings that you do see when they're kind of, when Rocket and Yondu are jumping there. Um, either from the Planet Hulk storyline, they're Cronin. They're kind of the... Pink ones? The, no, they're like rock monsters. Oh, like the thing. Like... 
kind of like the thing. They're yeah. like from the original Journey into Mystery. That's like the men from the rock men from Saturn. Yes, yes. And you do see one at the start of Thor: The Dark World. Okay. So I think there's this this other there's a character in Planet Hulk called Korg, and I think Taika, the director of Thor: Ragnarok, is playing that character in Thor: Ragnarok. Cool. So there's a little bit of a tie there, but yeah. not much. It's okay. more kind of just acknowledging I... that there's these species within the universe type yeah. thing. Nice. Yes. So very Star Wars like. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And one of the things when we're speaking about continuity and timeline here that kind of messed me up as I was watching this, we had that incredible Stan Lee cameo, the canonizing of Uwatu the Watcher. Yes. Or him being somewhat amongst of Amongst them, at least. Yes, amongst them, some sort of, uh, I can't remember how exactly they explained it, but basically just like a, a, an informant or something like that. But the thing that kind of messed me up when I was watching this is that he talks about being a FedEx delivery man which is a direct reference to Civil War. But if you look at the timeline, it right. doesn't match up because technically that hadn't happened yet in 2014. Yeah. And so I was kind of thinking, I was like, at first I thought he was talking about his first appearance in Fantastic Four when he plays Willie Lumpkin, the mailman. Right, right. I was like, oh my God, how did they just reference that? Yeah. And that's not, it's the FedEx's Civil War. And okay. so James Gunn, he did this Q&A not too long ago, a couple of days ago, and he addressed that directly. He said, I screwed up. <laughs> so he acknowledges the fact that this whole Stanley thing, this guise as a FedEx man, isn't exactly in continuity. But right. he just said you can kind of explain away by saying that he could have been an ex- Federal Express man at any point in time. That's that's true. Not Four years speci- prior, yeah, yeah, not specifically with Civil War. That's right. But that was the only continuity thing that I got. Oh. And James got to acknowledge it. So I was like, okay, I give that a pass. Oh, it's it's crazy because there's been whispers coming up to this movie that Stan's going to be the Watcher. Yeah. Or one of them at least. And to see that little moment, wow. I, they, they look great too, the Watchers. Because yeah. you know in the comics they're kind of weird looking. And babies. Yeah, with these big heads. Like boss baby in theaters right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they pulled it off. They, they, they made it work. And you know how... There's no better place to put them than Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. the fact that they canonized this fan theory, like yeah. we talked how many episodes about, back about fan theories and the ones that we loved and this Stanley is the Watcher right. was one of our favorites. And the fact that Marvel's and James Gunn have went like, okay, we're going to put this in because it kind of makes sense. Yeah. He's not really a, the Watcher, a Watu, yeah. but he is an informant of sorts. Exactly. And I love that it was in there. And that's one thing that this movie does well and what we're going to hit on a couple times throughout this discussion is the Easter eggs and cameos, they're for the fans of the comics, but they don't detract from the movie. Yes. Like people are like, who the hell are these people? Right. But then it's done. And there's you and me sitting there being like, like I had, and I'm going to drop a couple of F-bombs for this. I had a couple what the fuck moments. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, they it. just did that. Yeah. And yeah, I can't believe it happened, but it did. And I give them all the props in the world for sure for the Easter eggs and references that they dropped out here, especially that Stanley cameo. Lots of goodies, man. So good. Yeah. But let's jump directly into the movie now. Let's talk about this opening sequence. And we get what we had talked about for months since we saw this first trailer that this interdimensional monster that they're fighting is in fact the first battle. This is a reintroduction to the Guardians. You get Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, and introduction of Baby Groot. And they are the renowned Guardians of the Galaxy. And they've been hired by the Sovereign to take out this interdimensional being. This is a fun opening sequence. You get a bit of banter between the crew. Mm-hmm. We get Drax dropping some lines. Gamora, my nipples. It is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And then we get this unreal Baby Groot shuffling opening credit sequence. Right. Like, 
my wife was on the ground. She was just melting because of this. What a way to open a film. Oh, this was awesome. And, and you know, and you called it, going right back to that trailer, you called it. Like, this is probably the opener of um, of the movie there. So it, it was great. What a kickoff, too, especially, you know, um, to reintroduce these characters. If you never experienced the Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time, and this is when you see them, you're just going to be on the floor, right? Yeah. So they did such a great job. Um, it never really... I thought it was going to die out, and it never did. It kept going with the joke of yeah. Baby Groot dancing around while yeah. these other guys were getting their ass kicked. And I was just like, yeah, just give me more. Like, I could have done another 45 minutes of yeah. that whole scene. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool way to be doing the credits because that's something they have to do, right? Yeah. They're obligated to do that. And it kind of made it feel like it was still part of the movie. Right. And, yeah, the whole crowd when I watched this, the first and second time, yeah. were really digging this scene. And the fact that you got this new baby Groot that right. is absolutely adorable. The music it was set to, this Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah. Like, I still got that tune that in my good. head. That was good, that one, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. that was one of the best ones. That it film. was, yeah, definitely. They, they set the tone well there. And, wow, are they ever going to sell a lot of toys, baby oh, Groot? Jeez. man. Yeah. And oh, I, I just, like, I can't say enough good things about this opener. It, it kind of really sets the tone for the movie. Yeah. And I'm glued to this opening credit oh, yeah. sequence. And this is the way I was for the rest of the movie. I was literally on the edge of my seat for this whole movie. Completely engaged, for sure. We talked about the music there briefly and the score here. And this is something that we like to touch on relatively early in the discussion because I find that as we get going, we kind of forget about it. And it's quite an important part with a lot of movies and specifically this franchise. When you look back at Volume 1, the music was one of the things that people raved about. It really made the movie and set it apart from other MCU movies and from other comic book movies. What do you think of the music and how it was used in this film relative to what we saw in Volume 1 and even the score itself, too? It was used similar, but I just feel like Part 1 did a better job for the music. The score I actually really liked. I think for the score of the MCU, this is one of the better ones. Um, going back to Thor when we visited that, uh, I really liked the, the the score in Thor. Nice little rhyme there. <laughs> but, uh, the score in this movie really worked for me. Is just the music that they threw in, and that's kind of their niche, right? Um, it wasn't the best soundtrack, you know, apart from the first song we got there yeah. and going into spoilers when we see the Armageddon moment of Yondu yeah. <laughs> and Star-Lord. I really like that song. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Other than that, there's nothing that really uh, did it for me for the music. No, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of feeling the same way. You know, I don't think they utilize it as well. Mm-hmm. I, you know, after revisiting the first movie, after watching this one, yeah. and then when I went back for the second viewing, yeah. I really concentrated on the music because that was one thing when I was sitting in the theater for the first time that I was like, this doesn't feel as organic. It really felt like they were putting the songs in because they were cool and they fit some sort of theme. Whereas I felt in volume one, the songs naturally came out of the scenes through the Walkman, through the stereo and the Milano. Yeah. This one, it was just like, boom, we're throwing a song in. It just didn't fit as well. Yeah. And the one that worked the best, the one that we liked the best was the one that fit into the movie and naturally came out of it with group plugging in the stereo. Right. Yeah. And so you didn't have that same sort of development with the music. I get, and I don't know if it's because I'm not as familiar with the songs okay. that were in this film as I was with volume one. Yeah. But I agree. The music just didn't have that same charm yeah. that the first one did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. yeah. And the score too, I agree. I, that was another thing I concentrated a bit more on when I was watching it for the second time. And towards the back half of the movie, the score really picks up. Yes. And really kind does. of the music dies off and you get through the kind of the end battle sequences and into some of the more emotional moments. You do see the score pick up and actually take presence in the film. But the music for the most part pretty good but not as good as the first installment right 
So like we said with this opening sequence here, we get a reintroduction to the Guardians here. And I thought that let's talk about the Guardians themselves, the individual members. We'll touch on their moments as we kind of go through this. But I really want to talk about the characters that we got here at the start. And let's kick it off with Star-Lord, Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt. This guy is awesome. Yeah. He, he really delivers another stellar performance here, I think. I think that he sells the emotion, he sells the comedy, and he sells the action. This guy is on point through the majority of this film. And his slightly updated look is pretty cool. And his interaction with all of the characters, he has a moment with everyone, with Gamora, with Drax, Rocket, Groot, everyone. This guy really carries this movie. And I think it, it's not maybe more than any other character, but he seems to just have this prowess to him. And I love Chris Pratt in this role. Yeah, um, Chris Pratt's Chris Pratt's great. He, he's you know he's he's a funny guy. He 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 works. I mean, you would know more so than me about uh, the Star Lord uh, character, at least going into two thousand eight. How similar he is. I'm curious to know uh, how much he portrays that character. Yeah, Star Lord has had the same type of development as Tony Stark has with the movies. Okay, is that you see a lot more reflection from the movies into the comic books instead of vice versa. Right. So they've really readapted into the Brian Michael Bendis run in the late two thousand or whatever it was, two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Okay. Uh, when they they kind of revamped the whole Guardians team to kind of match up with the movie and all that dropping out, trying to bring new people into the comic books. Yeah. So they've really taken what. Chris Pratt has done and put that into the comic books. Okay. Both look and also oh. in character. Wow, okay. And that's the same thing they kind of did with Tony Stark. He's got yes. more of Robert Downey Jr. in him than ever. Yeah, especially if you go back to the Ultimate Universe with yeah. Tony Stark, it's dead on with yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. But he was great. He was great. And I like one thing that they did here is that you know, with the Rocket and Chris Pratt, or Rocket and Peter Quill kind of arc that they had there, I liked that it wasn't Peter Quill pushing away his friends. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and usually when you look at these films, it's the leader that pushes away his friends yeah. and ends up either relying on them later and this is how they come back together. But it's really Rocket that they put into that situation. Yes. I like that they didn't hinge the movie on Chris Pratt dealing with his emotions. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a combination of everyone dealing with different things that eventually kind of came to a head towards the end. But I like that they didn't pivot on Star-Lord's character to be this emotional point within the movie. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Now what about Dave Batista as Drax? That's that's my dude in this movie. <sighs> He's he does no wrong. And again, going back to part one, revisiting that character, he does such a great job. He was born you're gonna hear that a lot with the Marvel movies, right? Yeah. This person was born to play that character or this person, but he really was. He has such a good hold of um, of Drax, and he's done even a better job here. My only complaint is we didn't get enough of the Destroyer. You yes. know, like where was the action? But apart from that, man, he held his ground. He, him and uh, Mantis, wow, incredible. I love the banter between them. Yeah, or, yeah. He, he for me was one of the breakout characters oh, yeah. in Volume One, and yeah. he stepped it up even more. I agree with you fully there. Yeah. He had one of the best performances, if not the best performance, outside of Yondu. Yeah. In this film, yeah, they gave him stellar lines. I was a bit worried going into this that the charm of Drax was going to wear thin throughout the movie. Yeah, we're gonna get tired of hearing him not understand things, but they've evolved him just that little bit. He's not as oblivious to things as he was in the first installment. He's a bit more aware and still trying to get there with certain things. Yeah, and like you said, the banter with Mantis that made the Mantis character for me. Right. Oh yeah. In the absence of that relationship between the two, I think Mantis falls completely flat. For sure. Yeah. And she has almost nothing to do. 
but yeah, he, he is an absolute standout and some of the best lines in the movies. Like I've already mentioned, it hurts my nipples. <laughs> I have famously huge turds. And one of my favorites, and one of the more subtle lines is, you know, when he's going out with Peter Quill and Gamora, they're going into Ego's ship and he's carrying all the luggage. Yeah. And Peter says, why do you got so much luggage? And he just kind of just whispers off, I don't want Groot touching my stuff. <laughs> It is one of the best lines in the movie. Yeah. And it's it's so quiet. Like you really yeah. have to listen to yeah. it. But so I was subtle. Howling oh at that. man. Yeah, he he's just done a fantastic job with that role. And and shout out to James Gunn for, you know, having such a hold on the character and yeah. really directing uh, Dave Batista in this role. Yeah. Incredible. And even the few emotional moments that we got with him mm-hmm. were very compelling. Yeah. Like we don't get a lot of emotion off of Drax, but when he is sitting there with Mantis kind of at Ego's planet and he's talking about his wife and his daughter and yeah. all that, like that is a big moment for him and it really allows you to see a bit more into that character and Dave Batista delivers that. It's just that stoic smile yeah and kind of when he's talking about his wife right. and like she didn't flinch when dance you know it's it's really cool to see them develop that character and you know he could easily fall into a one-dimensional comedic character but yeah. they just grow him so much in this film they really have and he's he's evolved as an actor because if you go back to part one especially you notice the camera as soon as he's done his dialogue pretty much goes off of him to yeah. hide you know his facial reactions to whatever the other actors saying to him but here the camera's held on to him a lot longer so you can actually see his face acting yeah. as opposed more to than just him acting so great job yeah he is awesome yeah all right as we go through the list of guardians here we're gonna step into gamora zoe Saldana. Yeah. what did you think of her i, I loved her you know I, I liked her in part one but i feel like she could have done a bit more yes. but here they capitalized off of it yeah. she was great and when she takes down that monster yeah she's awesome and, yeah. and, and again her relationship with her sister i love it i want more now, exactly. right? Oh man, we're yeah. right on the same page for here sure. because for me, Gamora felt a little flat yeah. in volume one. Right. I felt they just didn't really know what to do with her. She mm-hmm. is an absolute badass in the comics. Oh man. And she's had a really great run in the last couple of years. And I really want to see more of that in the Guardians film. And we really get it here. She becomes one of the leaders of the Guardians. She is an emotional focal point for Peter Quill. She is a badass in yes. this film. And she has something to do here. Now, they play a bit with that love angle with her and Peter Quill. But they don't leverage it too much. Right. I never felt like she was kind of just there to be the love interest. Right. And they could have went down that path and really ruined the character. For sure. Like she doesn't need to be the damsel in distress. She is the one and should be the one that is saving the rest of the team. For and sure. And you see that right in this opening sequence. Oh, man. She kills a quick question. Who wins in a fight? Her or Black Widow? Oh, Gamora. Was- yeah, just- for sure, right? Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page. Tell me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Rocket was another one of the breakout characters. We had a lot of breakout characters in the first installment. And he stood out again for me here. We see him probably go through the largest character development in this film. There's a lot of focus on Rocket here, I find. Even more so than Peter Quill. Like, he is kind of the leader and somewhat of the focal point of the movie, being that it is his story about his father. But Rocket, same to the volume one, he kind of splits off and does his own thing for a little bit. He grows with Yondu here. And those are some of the strongest scenes, I think, with Rocket. Yeah. Is his relationship with Yondu and how it grows throughout the movie. And seeing him interact with Peter Quill, seeing the selfishness of Rocket and how he grows into something a little bit more, acknowledging the family. Like, the only thing he really seems to care about at the start is baby Groot. Yes. And by the end, he seems to really have this attachment to what he calls his family, right? Yeah, yeah. And his his surprise and his enjoyment that Yondu is getting the proper send-off. I think there's a lot of really good stuff there. And the, the dialogue between the two and the dialogue between him and the other Guardians 
really pushes this character forward for me. Like again, he could have fallen to this one note comedic character, mm-hmm. and they do so much more with him. No, they really do. And the theme throughout this movie is they really do such a great job of um, budding up certain yes. actors together to uh, to give you their uh, little story there. And, and him and Yondu is just great. He, you know, he has a nice scene in there too when he takes out the Ravengers. Yeah, you know, and you, you see them bouncing up and down. I thought that was pretty cool, and um, it's cool again. Yeah, just to see his character evolve from what we saw in the first volume. So, yeah. really, and the CGI on this character—holy smokes! This whole movie is yeah. flawless. It, like, it is. It's, it's it's a lot. Like the budget has definitely yeah. gone up. You know, from the first one. You don't even think about Rocket being a talking raccoon. No, like not at all. No, no, you never or do. Triangle face monkey. Or <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like I agree. Like like I never thought about that once. No. Like I remember sitting at the end of the movie and being like. I didn't even look twice no. at Rocket. I was just like, you see the hair and all, like it just works. It's perfect. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And now Baby Groot, he is the last member of our original Guardians yeah. team here. And one interesting thing that James Gunn did mention in one of his Q&A sessions is that this isn't the original Groot. This is a completely different Groot. He doesn't have the memories okay. of the Groot we know from the first installment. I feel like I've said in the first installment, thoughts, <laughs> but from the first movie. So yeah. it's a completely different Groot, and he's kind of growing on his own and learning on his own here. So it's interesting because I thought going into this that he was just simply another Groot. Well, I'm glad he cleared that up because I think everybody yeah. assumed that this was the original Groot, yeah. just, you know, growing up again. Okay, so it's a different Groot. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how he develops because we do see in this after credit scene, he's kind of this adolescent Groot. And <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's interesting now because now that you go back to um, you know the canon of where the timelines of these movies, so obviously when we do see him in Infinity War, he will be the same age, I most th- likely, of, as as the Groot that we first saw. Yeah, I think yeah. they're building towards that. That in yeah. four years or so, he becomes the Groot that we know from Volume One. Right. So we won't really see the teenager one. Probably really. not. Yeah. Would be my guess. That was yeah. kind of just a nice little, little nod that yeah, we got in there for sure. And it was just again this nice kind of because this whole movie is about father son relationships. Right? Oh yeah. And the whole first one was mother son. This is father son. Oh yeah. And it's cool how they built that into the end and said like you know Peter Quill's kind of taken this kind of father role same way that Yondu did with him. Yes. Towards the end of the film, we get that revelation, and it's it's nice to see that. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely agree. They do a really good job of doing the whole family here, as opposed to what's that movie called? Uh, Suicide Squad yeah <laughs> family, family I'll die for you I've known you for 10 minutes but I'll die for you <laughs> right um, and one other group of characters that were introduced here kind of right at the start of the film well, we get a lot thrown at us here in the first 10 minutes or so but we do learn that the sovereign Aisha has hired the guardians to protect these batteries yes and this is someone that we saw in the trailers we knew Aisha was tied to Adam Warlock in some way and when we actually get them in the film here, how do you feel about them, both their look and their overall portrayals? <laughs> you know, um, when I first saw them, I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. You know, the, the little banter that they have between, uh, you know, her and Peter Quill at the beginning, yeah. or just the Guardians in general. Um, it's throughout the film, I started to get a little annoyed, I guess, with them. They, they weren't horrible, but they they, they they weren't the best thing in the movie, that's for sure. No. But um, first first appearance, I thought they were pretty cool. I feel like we just got too much of them. Yeah. Yeah. And now, the the thing with the Sovereign here, they're really the driving force of the film. They're the yeah. kind of the pursuers that, that drive the narrative forward. They drive them towards Ego. They drive them to speed up when they're trying to kill Ego. Yeah. So there's a lot of that pushing here. So I think they're a necessary evil, I'll call them, in this film as far as progressing it. Yeah. But I'd have to agree with you. 
I'm not a huge fan of what they did here. Yeah. What James Gunn did here. I think that they're fine. Yeah. Their look is okay. It's mm-hmm. a bit off. Um, but the one thing I didn't really like about them is that they were more comedic than they needed to be. Yeah. I felt that themselves being self-described perfect beings, every part of them is engineered to perfection or whatever. Right. right? I felt that they just weren't stoic enough. They should have been more methodical, more calculated and less emotional. Like with fear of taking crap for this, they should have been more like Vulcans from Star Trek. Yeah. Or or like vision even, you know, it's more calculated. Like like what you're saying. They just shouldn't be able to process emotion the same way. Yeah. And the fact that they're kind of always snickering in the background. And I like that whole arcade thing. At first. It was fine at first. But then when he dies and they're yelling at him, you suck and all this, it just didn't really click for me. Like I didn't think we needed another layer of comedy in this. Like there was already everyone in here has got fantastic lines. Mm -hmm. The comedy is on point. It's nailed. It feels right. This always felt like it stuck out to me. Yeah. Like I know they needed some sort of cannon fodder army to fight in the space battles and all this, but it didn't need to be exactly this or these characters. I just didn't really feel it as much. I felt that that was probably the weakest point of the film. And I'm not saying that it makes the film weak. I'm just saying that out of a very strong performing film, this is one of the parts that I'm like, eh, I could probably do with something slightly different. I don't know if you want to do like a Badoon or something else act as the driving force of the movie, but this just didn't really work for me. Yeah, it kind of had a little bit of the stench of uh, Age of Ultron. How you have a a character like Ultron who's you know, meant to be down to business. And I feel like they established that for like two seconds in yeah. Age of Ultron. And then he gets a little goofy and a little Tony Stark-like. And I feel it did the same thing with these with this race here in this film. Yeah. yeah. And being that they are connected so intimately, mm-hmm. or are going to be connected to Adam Warlock. Right. I, still part of me there is kind of like, I don't fully love that that's going to be the connection point. Right. I feel like Adam Warlock should be something like similar to Vision, but not really. Yeah. But, I, there's something there that they need to kind of tweak a bit more because it looks like so. we're going to see a bit more of this sovereign or this race going forward right. into volume three. And I think they just need to tweak them, turn the knobs on them a little bit and just turn down the Darcy in them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Turn down the Darcy. Oh man. Hashtag that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but as the Guardians are departing, and we get some nice scenes in there with Rocket winking with his wrong eye and all this. Yeah. Good banter in there with him and Drax. They do this this job in exchange for Nebula. She's another returning character from Volume 1, someone that we didn't really know what happened to at the end of, with the exception of her hand being cut off there. Mm-hmm. She is the daughter of Thanos, the sister of Gamora, so she does have intimate connections into this broader universe. And in the first movie, kind of going back and revisiting it, she was pretty good. I liked the character, and I like her here even more. Mm -hmm. I feel like what she does with Gamora is absolutely awesome. Yeah, They have great banter. And one thing that I think this really does is that it allows the characters, or allows the film to discuss Thanos a bit without having him in the film. James Gunn was very specific about the fact that Thanos is not in this film. And you know what? I didn't miss him. I no. thought I would, but I didn't because we had some of this from Nebula, from Gamora, discussing Thanos, what he did to Nebula about replacing her body parts as yeah. she lost to Gamora. And then that whole relationship development there. Like when I think about what Thanos was doing to his own daughter, yeah, what he could do eventually to 
humans or the Avengers or something like that. Right. This really brings a threat of Thanos to the MCU without really doing much with Thanos himself. That's just it. It adds more to like that mad titan yes. of Thanos that we know. It, it's much like a, like a Vader approach, right? You know, you're talking about Vader, you're building yeah. him up without even showing him, you know? Yeah. And uh, those are always kind of the best villains. So I really like what they did there. I agree. Um, I wonder though, was... Um, Nebula, was she the a biological daughter? or Because I know Gamora is an adopted one. I think they're all kind of stolen okay. daughters. Okay. I don't think they're biological. Okay. Because yeah. you go, from the comic books, if you read Thanos Rising and a few others, yeah. he kind of goes and plants his, his seed, similar yeah. to how Ego, Ego does in this film. Yeah. And then he goes around and kind of rounds them up and kills them all. Yeah. And so I think that she's probably more of a stolen daughter. Right. Same as Gamora, adoptive, yeah. if you will. Right. So right. I think that's how they're playing okay. it here. Yeah. Might, I might be wrong if someone's out there that has a correction, but I'm pretty sure that's how they're going after it here. Yeah, but no, it, it was great. I loved the fight scenes between those two. And it's really cool. It's such a good like story between those two sisters, yeah. how that, that folded, right? And, you know, um, they, they just never saw eye to eye. They just didn't understand what was going on until the very end, you yeah. know? So I, I actually, I think they probably had probably one of the strongest uh, story points yeah. in, in this movie. I'd say yeah, I really and liked it. Like we said before, it's organic. Like I yes. don't feel like we took time off from the movie to explore a Thanos, Nebula, Gamora sort of arc. Right. Like that all fell within the movie here. And kind of when they're in the cave, it leads to finding all the dead children. Yeah. There's a lot there that you see develop. And she kind of bounces around between the different groups because at one point she's with Rocket, Yondu, and... Um, Groot, baby Groot there. Yep, yeah, with and the then, Ravagers there. Yeah, then she skips off into Ego's planet and she's with the Sovereign at the start. So she is kind of a point that kind of floats through this whole movie right. and has slightly different arcs with each individual character. So she is kind of a continuity point that I really like seeing throughout the whole film. Yeah. So after the Guardians do acquire Nebula, we're treated to our first of a few space battles in this. They're not as grand as the one that we saw in Volume 1, but the Sovereign versus the Milano. What did you think yeah. about the CG here? We kind of got a little bit of an Empire Strikes Back yeah. feel going through the uh, asteroid belt and all that. <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of cool. I, I, you know, I was kind of a little annoyed with the whole Rocket and Star-Lord, you know, fighting over the direction of the ship. Yeah. I thought that was a little kind of weird, especially with their lives on the line like that. Um, you know, the CG was pretty cool with um, Drax, though, on the yeah. back. That was that yeah. was impressive, but I was like, "How the hell is he going to survive this thing?" Yeah. Even though I know it's Guardians of the Galaxy, but I didn't I didn't mind the scene. It was it was no um, Rogue One, no. That, that's for sure. But not much can live up to that one there. But uh, I, I liked it. Yeah. it. It felt Guardians like, right? It did, and that's yeah. one thing in this movie, or even in this franchise, really, we haven't got an epic space battle yet. Yeah. We haven't got that Rogue One that. Return of the Jedi type yes. space battle. And that's something that I hope in Volume 3 they kind of address. We need something bigger. We might even get that in Infinity War. That's true. We need something large-scale, big, like we see in Star Wars, in this Guardians universe to kind of give it that that final push into space opera territory. Oh, that'd be just... like You know, to see like Carol Danvers and Starlord going yeah. at it, you know, oh. in ships because she's, she's such a pilot. And, Man. Oh, that'd, that'd be <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, you're right. Infinity War, hopefully we, we get that. little yeah. something there. Right. Right. Uh, but it's through this whole sequence that we get our first introduction to Peter Cool's father ego, the yeah. one-inch man. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic scene. Uh, they do crash land on a planet here, and Kurt Russell emerges to reveal himself as ego, Peter Quill's father. This is a scene we saw directly in the trailer. He is flanked by Mantis. This is another character that we do get. What did you think of Kurt Russell in this role of ego? 
I loved his role in this. Yes. He, he knocked out the park. And I got to say, the CGI they use, this, this de-aging Benjamin Button effect that they use, this is the best one. Like, yes. For, you know, the Robert Downey Jr. one was incredible. Um, Michael the Douglas. one, Michael yeah. Douglas was like fantastic. And then this, I'm like, how did they do it even more justice than the yeah. first two times? It was incredible. Like yeah. he looked right like Snake uh, Plaskin, is it? Yeah. From those movies. Is incredible. At first, I didn't think they're going to show his face because yeah. they kind of had their car bar in front of it, and you hear him talking, and then they're just like, "Nope, here it is." Yeah. At, at this point, I feel like whoever I think it's probably ILM yeah, okay. behind all this are just showing off now. Yeah, because every movie sure. now has a, a callback to a, an actor that we that is an older now. Yeah, that had a huge career in the past, and they're just recreating their faces, right? Like it, it's so good. It's, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. So I, I love what they did there, and yeah, him in this role of ego. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the character of the planet as you may be but he just owned it because you, you're rooting for him too like yeah. you actually really like this character you, you're attached to him and that's kind of what some cool villains do is when you can kind of, kind of understand where they're coming from yeah kind of support their idea to a certain degree there but um i really liked him and i'm gonna have to say right off the bat next to loki this is the best mcu villain we've had i really liked him as a villain yeah, yeah your your point of rooting for him and kind of getting on his side of things yeah i think that's all in kurt russell's delivery yeah oh yeah he makes you want to like this character and i like the fact and we we called this before that that he was an avatar of a larger planet like Mm -hmm. the planet was ego and he was just kind of this avatar this human looking avatar for him and i like that i like this explanation that he was a celestial so again we're building this we saw the the reference to celestial with nowhere the head of a severed celestial in volume one the reference to it when the collector's talking about it so you're building this this godlike presence within the galaxy yes really cool stuff they're really cosmic and like i said kurt russell kills it oh yeah and when you look back at this like this shouldn't have worked as well as it did. The fact that he kind of goes through this whole self-explanation of his evolution through time. He was a brain. He kind of built this. And then he's kind of this living, sentient planet. It it sounds nuts. It's yeah. nuts even for comic books. But it freaking worked here. It really did. Yeah. Like, And yes, they did change Peter Quill's origin as far as his father and all this. But I like this. I like what they did here. It made sense. It fit with what they were building in this galaxy from the start of Guardians Galaxy Volume 1. Yeah, it's a big improvement from uh, Ronin. Because I think he was, um, Ronin the Executor, was a missed opportunity. Yes, you know, 100%. Go, especially going back, revisit that movie. I was like, ah, oh, because he's such a brilliant actor to yeah. the guy that they had there from Lord of the Rings and whatnot. And so he when he did deliver, I was kind of let down. But, you know, they had another chance with uh, Kurt Russell here. And they yeah. just destroyed it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Ronin, if you go back to Infinity and some of the stuff from Annihilation, yeah. he is awesome oh, he's he should a bad, be bad man. way better yeah. yeah like but that's neither here nor there. we'll get into that eventually <laughs> yeah we look back at that on the retrospective for sure but the planet itself this thing was crazy looking this felt like it was out of a jim starling comic yeah. from back in the like day jack kirby ish right yeah, it was this crazy was, wow yeah yeah all over the place there was some weird shit here yeah definitely and but again it didn't feel like it didn't fit. Yeah. Like it made sense. Like some of the stuff with like the floating fish and all that and the wild ass plants and, but it was cool. Visually, it was stunning. Yeah, it, it was it was great. And, you know, you get these little funny, like, father-son moments, too. Yeah. When they're, when, see, and that's the other thing about this movie. I, I was worried when we started introducing these powers. Going back from uh, Volume 1, when, you know, Peter Quill has these powers kind of developing, yeah. at least. And then when we see it here in this movie, 
I was kind of worried because I'm like, well, I don't want to overpower the character. I mean, I don't think in the comics he has those powers. He, he kind of no. always seemed like a Han Solo-ish yeah. kind of character, and I like that. So Very I was, lucky guy. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> For sure. So I was worried, but they handled it very well towards the end of the movie, uh, yeah. you know, basically getting rid of those powers. At least I hope they did. Yeah, I think yeah. that that was the impression I got. Was yeah. I was worrying about the same thing. I was like, right. oh my God, they've just made him the most powerful guy ever. Yeah. We're going to go into Infinity War. Why doesn't he just use his celestial powers right. and all that? But they deal with all that very quickly. And they kind of vanquish that whole power from him. Yeah. And But the, the brief moments before Ego kind of goes full villain here. Yeah. With him and Peter are great. Yeah. Like you said, that kind of throwing the celestial ball <laughs> around and that, that whole interaction with... Kurt Russell and and um, oh, Chris and Chris Pratt. Oh, Chris Pratt. Okay, really good. Yeah, like they just kind of banter off each other really nicely when they're talking about it with the Walkman and yeah, it's just really good. It feels right. Like it feels like it should. Like it's not, I don't ever feel like okay, this is kind of weird that he's already you know feels so attached to this guy as his father. Like he's kind of manipulated him this whole time, right? He's playing him exactly, especially because this is the first time he's done it. Like yeah, think how many times he's done that. And uh, his little sex ed yeah. uh, scene was just hilarious. Again, yeah, because Drax was yeah when Drax is in there, yeah, oh, penis, yeah. Oh man, I was I, the theater was just going nuts. I, yeah. I thought it was just brilliant that yeah. whole scene. The whole way he told his story too with yeah. those kind of egg-looking things. Yeah, like those mannequin yeah. looking. Yeah. I kind of liked it. I thought that was cool. Like, at first I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. But then as it kind of went, I was like, this is kind of a cool way to depict the history of Ego. Yeah. Yeah, without giving you, like, some cheesy flashback. Yeah. I thought that was really... It worked for me. Yeah. yeah. And his, his motivation, like, did you believe what he was trying to do as a celestial, as someone that was going around and planting a seed both from a perspective of <laughs> planting a sperm seed and then also planting a literal seed in the ground? Like, did you believe his overall motivation? Do you feel that he had one of these fallacies that we've attributed to some of the Marvel villains of all of a sudden just going crazy because it suits the plot? Or do you feel like that he had this more natural progression towards what he was doing, towards his grand plan? Yeah, a bit of both, but more so I did really believe what he was doing, especially for being like him, this sentient that's been around yeah. for God knows how long. He would kind of look at humans or any being as like ants, like replaceable. Like you, you really don't know what you're doing. I've been around for God knows how long. Yeah. You know, this is what I need to do. So uh, that, that really did work for me. What he turned is, you know, it, it, it's a movie. You only have so long until you can like yeah. make that villain become a villain. So I, I, I forgive that. But um, again, like you said, Kurt Russell sold that, that role. Yeah. And it just, it really worked for me. I liked it. Yeah. He made you think what he was talking about he actually meant yeah it was something that like when you talk about like millions of years on his own he wanted something more something bigger to me as a celestial and what i know from the combo it kind of makes sense okay like yeah. that he wants to grasp onto something bigger he's in search of more than what he calls just the boring life that he found right yeah. he wants everything to be him yeah and he needs that extra celestial to make this happen for sure for sure the only thing that i thought was a little weird was this like the actual seed he'd plant on planets. Like yeah. the fact that this thing was behind a Dairy Queen, yeah. you know, and you have people product like placement. the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Product placement. Like, like no one's noticed this thing yeah. the whole time. I thought that was a little weird. At least they could have at least had it, you know, like go underground yeah, or something. Yeah, into the ground, yeah. Yeah, but uh, nitpicking. I, I I really like this character yeah. a lot, this villain. He was awesome. And yeah. what Drax refers to as his pet also makes an appearance here, Mantis. She was a character that I'm familiar with from the 2008 Abnett and Landing Guardians run. She is a part of that team. She kind of makes her first appearance in Annihilation Conquest. 
and some of those books here and has a presence, not so much present day, but I'm sure we'll see her back here if she's not already back in the comic books. Yeah. Um, but her character, I think out of all of the characters, at least the new characters that are introduced, I feel like she was one of the weaker ones. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't have a ton to do. She kind of served as this plot device to slow down Ego. Yes. It's kind of like this Professor X type thing where you need to slow down this god, this all-powerful god, so that the whole plot can kind of move forward without him just kind of snapping his fingers and killing everyone. Yes, yeah. And so she serves that purpose. I'm looking forward to her in future installments. I really wish we got to see her fight, though. Because in the comic book, she's like a badass martial artist. Yeah, that's right. I remember she, you're telling us. Yeah, that. she really didn't yeah. do much no. in this film other than kind of the, the empathy thing. Yeah, and get knocked out by a meteor. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, she was a tough sell, you know, especially um, the marketing with the, the trailers. But yeah. every time I saw the trailer, I thought she was great. In this movie, I was like, is that going to work for me? And it, it and it did for the most part. But I, yeah, I really want to see some action from her because yeah. like you were going off of with the martial arts. So hopefully she's a character that we'll see develop a lot more in volume three um but i think her and drax just work so well together those two yeah so. you stick her with anyone else she doesn't work you put exactly. her with gamora or peter quill or something or try to do like a love thing there yeah. like it just wouldn't work but it sticking wouldn't. her with like the emotionless drax and having her be in i can't remember how she explained herself like an empath not a telepath but an empath i guess yeah or whatever she calls herself right so sticking her beside someone that has no emotion yeah. is it's great it's an awesome kind of juxtaposition of two totally different characters for sure you're saying her counterpart in the comics she's green though yeah she's right green. so i guess it's just too much green yeah they toned her down like even yeah. james gonna saying drax is kind of gray not green yeah eventually we're gonna get these guys interacting with hulk so yes with gamora hulk drax Matt. like there's a lot of green there yeah right? that's right so cool. yeah cool, cool character but I think it's time to talk about Yondu and the original Guardians. Oh, of course. Let's go. Um, Aisha hires Yondu and his Ravager crew to capture the Guardians, the ones that stole the batteries that kind of the Sovereign have this issue with being slighted. Yeah. Um, and before Aisha actually hires them, we get an introduction to Yondu here and his crew. They're partying on a planet here. He's seemingly had sex with some sort of robot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we get the introduction of Stakar Ogor and Martin X. Yeah. This friggin' floored me. And being that they're kind of captains of different Ravager crews and they've come down to tell Yondu that he's been exiled for trafficking children. And for those that aren't aware of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Stakar Ogor is Starhawk and Martin X, again, is one of the original guardians of the galaxy like from the 1969 he was in the first issue crazy and the fact that they put these characters in here along with the other appearance like alito gore we get charlie 27 mainframe kruger a lot of original guardians from 1969 through the early 70s run this was another one of these are you fucking kidding me yeah. moments because i was just floored like at first i didn't catch stakar I caught the Ogura, and then you look at Sylvester Stallone, who played this character, mm -hmm. and you look at his arms, or his shoulders, and he's got these yellow beams that go up and over him, and that's straight of the comic books. Yeah, because his, his costume's pretty wacky, but they, yeah. they made it work very cinematic-like. Yeah. yeah. I thought when he first showed up, I was like, oh my god, that's Vance Astro. Okay. So he's, he's kind of the other character that's part of the kind of third or fourth iteration of the Guardians. Actually, no, he's actually one of the original Guardians, Vance Astro, sorry. Um, I thought that's who it was, but it's cool they went with Sakaar because I think they're probably going to do something with Vance Astro later on. Yeah. 
But like, what did you think of them actually inserting here? This is something I pegged as a long shot when we talked about this a couple weeks ago about them actually appearing in this movie. But yeah, because did you know that Sylvester Stallone was in this movie at that point? I knew Sylvester Stallone. I did not know who he was playing. I oh, stayed away from spoilers. Yeah, see, you're I lucky. I never got that. You're lucky because I it spoiled for me right off the bat. Yeah. a while ago, and I was like, oh man. But for some reason, I got it mixed up with a uh, Dark Hawk. But when he stepped on the screen, his presence was very yeah. like Creed-like, very uh, Judge Dredd from the '90s, yes. and his role was great. Like I was just like, I want more of Sylvester Stallone. Like yeah. I'm, I'm all in, and and him and Yondu's banter was is the best yes. in this movie. It was so good. You got this whole idea of like a whole past, a whole history yes. between these characters, and I just like I want more of that I want the original OT OG uh, Guardians crew like right now this screams for a 10 minute Marvel one shot or something oh for sure like just to like explore a bit more of what's gone on in the past and kind of build this up a bit more like if you want to expand on your continuity you do it through the original Guardians right like how good would that be so Yondu was one of the originals too yeah so it was Charlie 27 Martin X Vance Astro and Yondu were the original four and then they in 1974 Five-ish, got real 74. psychedelic. You got uh, Takar Ogur. You got Lido Ogur, which is the female in this. And then as the you got like Adam Warlock and all that. Kind yeah, of that's kind of more in two thousand eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you right. get kind of the addition of those characters later on. Yeah, but this is like the core original and. Yondu, we we've kind of teased here about how much we like this, but Michael Rooker was unfriggin' believable in this role. He was so good. You know, I I haven't watched a ton of this of uh, the show. Um, the Walking Dead, yeah. But you hate that guy, oh, and yeah. that you hate him. And what he does in this role, you, you just you you love this guy. He has that Bruce Willis. I'm telling you that Armageddon kind of protecting kind of vibe going on, and I really love the relationship relationship between him and Star Lord. And you know, the whole time Star Lord's like, you just wanted to eat me, you yeah. know. And it was nothing like that the yeah. whole time. He's very protective, and he and he, he really he had a lot of love for uh, for Star Lord. He did. When he dies, this is for sure the most heart wrenching thing I felt in the MCU because. They killed off uh, Quicksilver. Yeah. Nobody cared. You know, um, what's his name? Coulson from S.H.I.E.L.D. He came back. There's never really been a good death. Nick Fury. Nick come Fury. Back. He came back right away. Captain America. Yeah, Bucky. Back. We knew Bucky yeah. wasn't dead. But Yondu here, man, he, he was just great. And I, I, I got to get this Marvel Legend now. I'm looking at it right now. And yeah. I got to go out there and buy a Yondu Marvel Legend for sure. He, he was the standout for me. Yeah. Like, you see Michael Rooker through this character. Mm-hmm. But... He also embodies the character of Yondu. Nice. I love what he did here. Like, he plays the emotional side. He plays this, the selfish side. His banter and interaction with Rocket was awesome. You really saw him develop through Rocket. Like, you got Rocket's story, and yeah. then when he's talking about him, you're the same guy as me. You kind of click there. Okay, I get Yondu. I get what's been going on. Because even in the first installment that, you don't really get that kind of father-son. You get more of an antagonistic yeah. relationship between the two of them. But as this movie goes on, you start to see what he's been doing about the revelation about Ego and all the kids and this and why Yondu saved him yeah. and kept him because he felt bad. And he, he felt guilty for trafficking the children. And so you see a lot of character development here. And yeah, when they kill him off at the end... This is an impactful moment. Like yeah. this is a big, big MCU moment because this is the first main character that we've seen bite it. Yep. A character that is very well developed. Like you mentioned Quicksilver. He was in and out in a movie. You didn't really get much of him. No. Like he was just kind of a one dimensional speedster. Yeah. 
And this, you feel for this. Like, you know it's, it's telegraphed here. Oh, he's yeah. talking with Sakar about the funeral that you will not have, oh, the Ravager yeah. funeral and all that. So it's kind of telegraphed at the start there. And it's kind of cool that it all comes full circle towards the end. But yeah, this is a huge scene. Yeah, no, it's, it's great, man. And I always love that that whole whistling oh, kind of thing that he has going that on. That arrow oh. is so That cool. scene when he in, took out the, the, all those Ravagers. Yeah, and all the Ravagers ship there. It yeah. is good. Like you saw just a glimpse of it in Volume 1 when yeah. it takes out kind of the Sakarians. Yeah. And this, it's all over the place. And the, the whistle effect, the effect of the arrow, yeah. it is really, really cool. And they improve on the Mohawk. He has like yes. the full-size Mohawk. And that scene, you know, with Groot oh. uh, getting the Mohawk, fetching it for him, baby Groot. Yeah. That was hilarious. That, yeah. it, it didn't, again, it was another one of these things. It probably could have felt like it went too long. Yeah. Like he brought back a lot of stuff there. But I was just howling at the whole thing. He comes back with a thumb, a desk, one of those little rat rodent things. Like, and the, the, when he puts a thing on his head and he's talking about how much he hates hats, like, this is crazy ass banter, but it's hilarious. Yeah, it wasn't getting old. No, it's not, not at all. Like, yeah. I could have went on for another couple of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get Craglin, who is his kind of right hand man that eventually leads this mutiny or at least kind of ignites it or nucleates this mutiny against Yondu. He eventually comes back into the fold here. And yeah, you're right with the Mohawk. Yeah. Like that's what it looks like in the comic books. And it's so cool that they adapted that here. Yeah, because that's the thing. Going off of uh, volume one, you know, when I was introduced to the Yondu characters, I Googled them right away. And I'm like, ah, you know, I really do like that Mohawk. I wish we got to see that. And and they proved on that. And and yeah, that's that's James Gunn's little brother, I believe, who was his right-hand man. Yeah. Who then later dons... The, uh, the whistle yeah. some sort, yeah. right? which it's is funny because cool. my wife's like, there's that guy from, he was on Gilmore Girls forever. Oh, okay, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, that's James Gunn's brother. He also plays Rocket. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, yeah, he's just unreal in this. And yeah. One of the characters here, the Ravengers, kind of as we're, as we're talking about the Ravenger here, they're, they're kind of a cool crew of misfits and gross pirates and all this. Oh, yeah. But Taserface. Taserface. <laughs> wow. That was that was funny. It's that awesome funny. because when you hear James Gunn talk about Taserface, even before this movie was in development, he said this is the dumbest character of all time. When you go and look back at him in the comic books, he's ridiculous. Like it's he looks a lot better here than he does in the comic <laughs> books. But James Gunn's always hated this character. Oh wow. And the fact that they call it out in this movie about how dumb the name is, how dumb he looks. And he's kind of the one that rises to the top as the leader of the new Ravengers, and they kind of kill off all of his old friends and that. But when Rocket's making fun of him here, like, it is just great. It's incredible, right? Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Yeah, we're kind of a one-dimensional character. We kind of fit that whole thing. He, again, he's another one that forces the movie, or drives the narrative forward by tipping off the Sovereign there at some point. And we get kind of yondu and rocket together and baby groot and all that so it's nice you get kind of you collect this group up you have a really nice scene here you have nebula interacting there and she is eventually sent off with ego yeah and so it's it's kind of a nice kind of slow down moment where we get a bit of that comedic coming back into it you get a bit of character building in here but also it's a lot of fun at the same time and as we're driving towards the end of this film the climax of this we have kind of eagle's grand plan revealed we've discussed this in a little bit of detail but we do get this end fight sequence where the guardians are reunited together we get kind of that nice avengers-esque scene yeah. where we have yondu arriving back on the planet we got rocket here baby Groot, gamora nebula mantis everyone kind of together to fight ego here because ego is kind of gone off the deep end at this point we get a cool battle between peter quill and ego 
which is more of a celestial type battle and we yeah. see that pac-man sort of thing <laughs> really funny i really like that this scene for me at least the quill eagle thing went on a bit long yeah it wasn't the most exciting scene as far as an end fight sequence in the whole movie yeah but it was okay. Kind of served a purpose. Yeah, it, it went on a little too long for me, and it, it kind of became a little like of a, a little bit of a CGI mess. Yeah. For me, the Pac-Man thing, I was like, ah, uh, for me, it didn't work that well. But um, this part worried me because I was like, whoa, like he's really powerful right now. Yeah. You know, this is the part when I was kind of scared, but. At the end, I really do like how they handled it. Yeah, it yeah. was good. And we got that really cool line with Yondu, the Mar- I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Oh, man. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Someone did a poster of that recently. And I don't know if it was Marvel who, but it's just him in like a Mary Poppins. Like no it's kind way. of like a, a abstracty kind of minimal colors, minimal detail. Like silhouette. Like, yeah, yeah, silhouette. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. It, it looks great. Oh, but yeah, this whole this fight sequence, I think it. this is one of the points that I think the Sovereign elevated the movie because okay. having them in the background fighting yeah. and that banter with Peter Quill and Baby Groot and the bomb and all this and them yeah. fighting, looking for the scotch tape. And that was great. That, that was, was a really good scene. Yes. And you get, again, a lot of CGI going on, but just not that epic space battle that I think we're looking for in this more space opera type movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and here we get the, the Guardians defeating Ego here. We get the bomb going off and we get, like we've discussed, the sacrifice of Yondu with Peter Quill. Yeah. Very emotional moment. And one thing that actually we should mention here is that, you know, Rocket hands them these two devices, the Rocket Pack, which is yeah. pretty cool, and this really cool fix on how people survive out in space. I love that. Like it was just because I think that was one of the things people were like, ah, you know, they shouldn't be able to survive the vacuum of space when I think at one point when Peter Quill flies out there and they're just like, we're going to fix this with a simple CGI thing. Yeah. Boom, done. That was cool. Yeah. Because, you know, when you go back to part one when Peter Quill uh, saves Glamora there, yeah. I thought that was really neat though still, like yeah. the, the effect of how yeah. they die. You see that a couple times through here when they're shoving out the Ravagers yes. and that. Yeah. And yeah. Yondu dies the same way. So a lot of people dying in the vacuum of space. Yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, uh, yeah, man, this, this was a very sad part for me. I was just like, oh, shoot, they're going to kill my boy because they really build him up and you yeah. you love this guy and you want to see him back in part three. You want to see him in Infinity War and they're not going to do it. So no, that's but that's rough. what makes this have stakes. And that's what makes this emotional Yeah, is that he's a character you now care for. Yes. And they spent the whole film building him up. Even kind of like almost underneath the whole movie is Yondu building. Yeah. Like, you never really feel like it's his movie. But he does steal the show. Oh, yeah. And they do this to a point, and it's almost all of a sudden you realize this, I really like this character. I want to see more of him. And then he's dead in the next scene. Exactly. Yeah. But it it, it needs to happen. You know, and James Gunn was doing one of these Q&As. He said, Yondu is dead. This isn't like any other iteration of death that we've seen in the MCU where people come back. This is an important moment for this movie and he needs to stay dead. He may come back in flashbacks or if they ever do some sort of, you know, old guardians type thing, like he could come back. So the character itself is not dead. He's just dead going forward. Yeah. So, and the, the one thing that I really like how they ended this off and it's a great line is that Ego may have been your father, but he was not your daddy. Yeah. And then kind of that's when it all goes together. And you said it right. And when we talked about this right after the movie, you said this is Armageddon, Bruce Willis, and Ben Affleck. For sure. Yeah, like streaming the no. You see him sacrifice himself. It is just perfectly executed. It is. And I I really hope going forward to the MCU, I'm not saying, let's kill that guy. Let's kill that guy. But I I hope they learn and and think that, you know, it's okay. We can do this certain characters just to add that much more weight. Yeah. Because you and I kind of talk about this in uh, the Rebels Alert show where we talk about, you know, maybe they could get away with killing Zeb to add a little weight to some of these scenarios, right? So... 
Yeah, you got to yeah. put some stakes in these films. You, you really can't do. Have everyone leaving all the time, almost unscathed. Exactly. Like you have to build some level of threat into these characters to keep people engaged in the yeah. film, to know that what is happening could lead to the death of a certain character. And I think yeah. that's is where maybe Walking Dead is taken it to the extreme. Yeah, or Game, of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. Same way <laughs> yeah. is that any character can really die. Yeah. I think that you know engages people a bit more it makes you care for characters it makes you care for the overall narrative that it does have meaning to it there are stakes to this whole big mess of a galaxy that's going on yes and the last thing too it, it kind of adds to the, this whole touching moment of yondu's when we have the ravengers gathering up as they're having this funeral pyre for him mm -hmm. and they're lighting off all of these fireworks and all that and then this is when we get the full introduction and this is my last what the fuck moment <laughs> Or holy fuck moment is I wonder if I'm gonna add explicit tag to this now. Um, we'll see. Um, is when especially Charlie 27. He's played by Ving Rhymes. He's in the yellow suit. This massive character, kind of when they're flashing out to the individual Ravenger captains, which is a great way to bring these characters yeah. into this film. Is a really cool way. And when they kind of flashing about here, I was like, I cannot believe they just did this. Yeah, like this is awesome. So good. So good. Yeah, you must have just been gushing over this, especially because you roll deep when it comes to the Guardian yeah, stuff, right? I, I was, yeah, I was literally on the edge of my seat being like, like I'm trying, I'm trying to capture it and I'm reading through the credits because they don't say Charlie 27, they don't say Alito Gore in the movie. They oh, okay. don't even say Martin X, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. And it's in the credits that you do see it. So I was nice. like, oh my God, okay, it's there. And then when I went back the second time, I was like, just fully involved in this. I love that they made all of these references. And again, organically, it, it didn't feel shoehorned in. Right. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we have another Guardians team over here. <laughs> so it, it was awesome. And this is a great way to end the movie. And like I said, it was this huge scale movie that felt extremely intimate and ending it on a very intimate moment, yeah. I think is very important to send this movie into the you know future franchise into Infinity War because we're going to explode this universe here. We needed to have this more personal movie really to did. connect with the characters because you know, James Gunn's even stated that they do have a supporting role in Infinity War and not a main role. So we're yeah. not going to see a lot of them. It's just going to be more of them fighting. So we're not going to get really into development there. We need to have the development in this movie. You need to reattach yourself to these characters. And we need to propel ourselves into Volume 3. And that's what some of these end credit sequences here. Because we knew going into this film that there's five end credit sequences. This is the largest amount of end credit sequences we have for any movie. And Sunday and I took a poke at this a couple weeks ago as to what we thought was going to be in this. Right. And we were wrong on almost all of them except for the Adam Warlock one. <laughs> <laughs> but starting with the, the first one here, we had Craiglin taking out Yondu's telekinetic arrow. That's hilarious. pretty cool. And we get <laughs> Drax getting <laughs> stabbed. Yeah. One last scene with Drax. Awesome. Oh, man. Uh, the second one here we've discussed this too is uh sakar inspired by by yondu here gathering up the old guardians saying let's go steal some shit yeah so like we said hopefully we see a little bit more of these guys going into the future do, do you think we'll see a push for those guys in the comics now oh yeah like yeah and for those that are interested in learning more about these guys i meant to mention this before I think I have in the past. Guardians 3000. Oh, right. Yeah. That's what you need to get into because the 2008 run, you do get Vance Astro and uh, Starhawk. So those are two characters. But if you don't really know who they are, it's hard to kind of grasp because they come from the 31st century and all this. But Guardians 3000 was done by Dan Abnett. The same, I think it was Dan Abnett. The same guy that did the Guardians 2008 run. So okay. he has a lot of experience in that cosmic world nice. building. And he takes these characters and he runs them alongside of the 2008 or the modern day guardians as well so you get a good interaction of all of these characters with characters you're already familiar with right. like charlie 27 stakar 
Vance Astro, you get Nikki in there. So there's a lot of characters in there that you can kind of wrap your head around and get a good introduction to them. So there's also Guardians of Infinite or Infinity that just came out a year or so ago, kind of off the back end of Secret Wars. Okay. And I never got into it because it had like a four nine nine price tag. Yeah, oh. it's because they always had a backup story, like a like you know how they throw in sometimes like, like a little a, bonus. Yeah, bonus. Yeah. So they always had that in the back. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not paying this. I'll wait for the trade. Yeah. So Guardians 2000, if you want more of those characters, get into that, and then you can kind of maybe go back because the original Guardians is really hard to read. I bet. It, it's kind of got this wacky ass like crazy comic book. Was it Kirby on those? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it maybe it's probably doing guns by then. Yeah. So yeah. it was a little later on. Yeah. But yeah, start with 3000. You like those characters? You can kind of go back here. The next scene here was Groot uh, maturing into the adolescent. Uh, it was just a fun scene here. Yeah. Uh, we get the reference to Adam Warlock through Aisha, which yes. is pretty cool. James Gunn has specifically said he's not going to show up in Infinity War. He will be in Volume 3, though. So I'm cool. guessing he's going to play at the start an antagonistic role. He's going to realize what the Sovereign maybe have done, and then he'll turn join the Guardians and kind of go on. That's kind of my nice. far-flung future prediction for Adam Warlock. And then the last one is the group of Watchers. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about Stanley's cameo. This is one of my favorite of the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, we did get Howard the Duck in there as well, which is great. We knew that was coming. <laughs> I thought that was going to be one of the post credit scenes here. Yeah. But this whole Watcher thing, again, fantastic. Loved what they did here. And one last deleted cameo that I want to mention here quickly before we give our recommendations is James Gunn today actually posted on social media that there was a deleted Nathan Fillion cameo yeah. as Simon Williams' Wonder Man. And it was taken out. It was supposed to be just a movie poster. He's an actor. Yeah. You know, it was never meant to be a big role, but it was kind of acknowledging the fact that it was cut. It was supposed to be, I think on earth when you see kind of the seeds growing and there's right. a movie poster in the background he's playing tony stark in a movie yeah. or whatever right it's a shame we didn't get to see the nathan fillion cameo and kind of building a bit more of that that simon williams or at least teasing it yeah maybe for future movies we've seen him somewhat paired up he was kind of called hollywood in one of the original guardians runs and he did have oh, some interaction okay. with them in the secret wars guardians of the galaxy spin out tie-in thing yeah so, wonder woman wonder woman wonder man's kind of a hard character yeah. character to pull off especially with his origins being tied to vision and the original human torch yeah, i he's think very powerful as well yeah so but i've never heard about that a while ago even when they're shooting this movie about that little easter egg and yeah. i was like where is it throughout the movies so. yeah that's why james gunn posted this today okay like i wanted to address this because people were freaking out like, yeah Nathan i was looking Fillion for it. was getting like top billing on imdb and yeah. people were like wonder man's in the films and crazy and all yeah. this and then he doesn't show up but i'm okay i don't think this movie really needed or no. it would have even really fit no i just went for that guy to make his you know his debut because everybody's been wanting this guy yeah. to be green lantern or so and so and he's he's never showed up in the superhero films no. yet so he's a good friend it. of james gunn too yeah okay so. nice again we kind of talked about this at the top but we were surprised that there were no thor ragnarok or infinity war easter eggs in these last five after credit scenes a, a, a little bit there, but you know, once you uh, solidified that timeline, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I, I wish we got to see that Beta Ray Bill because remember, everyone's still speculating oh, yeah. was that Beta in, uh, in in the first one, that. and I really wish we got to see at least that. Just give me that. That would have been pretty cool. Do you think we'll see him in? Ragnarok. Ragnarok, if if they hold that off, that'd be great because that'd be a big surprise because yeah. they've showed us everybody else. If they can, you know, throw in Beta Ray Bill, especially coming off of Unworthy Thor, oh man, so good. that'd be awesome. You know, I've said this before. Sometimes the comics I yeah. feel are little preludes to what they're doing in the films, and the fact that Beta Ray Bill was a part of the Unworthy Thor right. arc, and I don't know, I think that he might show up eventually. I thought maybe here he fits way better in the Thor universe. Yeah. 
than this universe for but sure having him escape from the collector and show yeah, up well, and, because we had we had hella and worthy thor we yeah. had uh the collector in yeah. there and then beta he built himself so and thor obviously and he's unworthy exactly. so i mean yeah the seeds are there they so, are yeah awesome Hopefully. all right man let's move into our final recommendation for the film troy yeah do you recommend guardians of the galaxy volume two? Oh yeah absolutely man Absolutely. I give this movie, you know, five Yondu Mohawks out of five. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie was awesome. I'm telling like I came out of this movie so happy and just thrilled to go back at it and see it again, even though I haven't yet, but I will make the effort to go to it. Um I love this way more than part one. I, I'm sure people out there love part one more, but this movie worked for me. I think the only downer for me was the music yeah. and uh, the score. I still like the score. Um, the end fight scene was a little messy and I do wish we got a little bit more of uh, Drax the Destroyer actually destroying. Yeah. Apart from that, man, this movie was awesome and it's one of my favorite MCU films out there. I, I loved this film. Yeah. Yes. I'm right there with you, man. Nice. This is a for sure recommend. This was a fun movie. It was an edge of your seat movie. The action was great. I do agree with you. It did lack a little bit in the action, but what we got was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I couldn't look away from the screen. No. There was so much going on and I spent a lot of time looking for little Easter eggs. But at the same time, I was just drawn in. You know, when it wasn't the music that was drawing me in, it was the visuals. And it wasn't that, it was the characters. Everyone here is absolutely on point. Yeah. Every character delivered a fantastic performance, every actor. And I felt that everyone had their moments. And like I said, throughout this whole review, everything was organic. Nothing felt shoehorned in here. Everything felt like it belonged and it made the story better by having each individual character in the film interacting with different people. This is one of the best MCU films. I'm not going to say it's the best, but it is one of the best. It is definitely, I would have to say, with oh, this is going to be a tough one. Oh boy. Is this a better sequel to the first one than Winter Soldier is to the first Avenger? Is this the best sequel? Immediate follow-up. For me, no. I, this this one's right there, but yeah. Winter Soldier to me, uh, it depends on what day you ask me of the week. It could be the best MCU movie we've ever had. I have so, to agree with you. But it's it's a tough one though. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's tough. a hard one. It's a hard but, one. That's a good question though. Yeah, but yeah. we're seeing very strong sequels here. Yes, to a lot of these movies. Yeah. That, you know, like we've just discussed in our retrospective series, Iron Man two was good. Yeah, it wasn't on this level. It wasn't Winter Soldier. I think that this falls into that same bucket as very strong follow on absolutely. Sequel. Um, it maybe isn't as impactful as the Winter Soldier yeah. for the individual characters. I think that coming out of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, we love these characters. We just got more of them and more development here. Where Winter Soldier changed the character of Captain America. Oh, right. Yeah. This just added to what we already loved about these characters. Yeah. So it, it definitely sits up there among the best for me. For sure. And it's it's hard. Like it's it's really difficult to rank these movies. Because like you said, any day of the week, Winter yeah. Soldier's here, Civil War, Guardians yeah. is up there, Iron Man. Avengers. So there's so many going here. But as a franchise, I think this is going to be up there with Captain America as a trilogy. Yeah. Is that it's going to feel cohesive with James Gunn coming back to direct volume three. It's our first director coming back to write and direct all three movies, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I am hugely anticipating what's to come next, not only for these characters, but for this franchise. And I'm looking forward to seeing them in Infinity War. And yeah, if you guys have not seen this, Hopefully you didn't just listen to all that. But <laughs> if you haven't, get out there and check this out. And I'd have to say AVX, not IMAX. Yeah, right there with you. Um, I'm curious too. I've always wondered about this since the first movie. Um, now that we know that we have them in Infinity War and it does take place four years later, 
will we get the Guardians in like their cool kind of costumes, like their matching outfits, like the comic stuff? I would like to kind of see that. You know, yeah. if they don't, it's no big deal. But I am kind of a fan of like the, you know, the matching outfits. Yeah. I think it's kind of neat. Just from what we've seen from set photos, Chris Pratt looks like he's in a relatively similar kind of jacket. leather jacket. Yeah, that's right. That's his thing. Jacket. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's kind of that Ravenger garb that they've adopted as their Guardians. Because even yeah. the patch, the flame patch, right. is from the original Guardians. That's like their symbol. Cool. So they've kind of evolved that whole Ravenger thing into the whole Guardians garb, right? Right. So it's, pre- it's pretty well done there, I think. Yeah. But overall, yeah, out of the park, Marvel. This is another fantastic film. And we've got a couple more coming down the pipe here. We've got Wonder Woman in a couple weeks, which we will be sitting down to discuss. Hopefully, this is a DC movie that you and myself can get on board with. I hope so. We've got Spider-Man Homecoming. Man, this is going to be a huge film. I did see the trailer in the IMAX and AVX for this. Yes. Awesome looking. Looks good. Thor Ragnarok also saw the trailer for that. Cannot wait for this movie. I stand by my... I think I had it number three or four. Wow, yeah. Most anticipated. I stand by that. That This movie is going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. That, that trailer just knocked out the park. Yeah. Did you see The Last Jedi trailer? I did in AVX, not in IMAX. Incredible. Yeah. Man, Yeah. that's another thing. We get, we're going to get back to some Star Wars talk here in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be having a bit more of a regular show here. I know it's been a bit chaotic over yeah. the last couple of weeks. I've been away like a madman. I This is the first time I will spend seven days in my own house in a month and a half. Which I'm extremely excited about. <laughs> so we're going to ha- be back with our regular shows. We're going to come back next week with our regular news update episode. We're going to have a lot of things to get through. There's been a lot of Star Wars, Marvel, DC news that's dropped over the last couple of weeks. If you guys would like to be a part of the Nerd Room or the MCU retrospective, you can always email us at thenerdrm at gmail.com. You can comment on our Facebook or YouTube pages. Or you can always catch us on Twitter. We're always hanging out there. Our handles are at the end of the episode. So, man, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love doing movie reviews. I love talking Guardians. I love talking Marvel, especially when they're delivering. I can't wait to get back to the table to do more MCU retrospectives. We'll be coming at you guys next month with Captain America, the first Avenger. Really looking forward to this yeah. review. It's going to be interesting. I know Sanjay's got some issues with this movie, but we're going to be back at the review table in a couple weeks. And then we're also going to be coming at you guys with lots of news episodes and our Wonder Woman review. Sanjay will be returning in a few weeks. Like we said, we send our best to him and we wish his family all the best as well. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, until next week for The Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And thank you for entering The Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and TroyTheBoy87. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.